Welcome to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast, brought to you by Vertical Street Ventures, where we talk to top experts and seasoned investors to help provide clarity and key insights to keep you safe on your journey to financial freedom. Our goal is to help you get educated on how to create passive income for you and your family using real estate as your vehicle. If you enjoy the show, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and a written review to help us grow and reach more listeners. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast. My name is Peter Pomeroy, and I'm your host. Today, we have Joshua Espejo with us. Joshua is a practicing dentist in Las Vegas, Nevada, and is on a mission to leverage his skills and experience to help others build passive income so they can live a life that is meaningful to them. While in dental school, in fact, during the last two weeks of dental school, Joshua had a drunken accident where he fell off a three-story building. This event woke him up and made him realize that anything is possible, both good and bad. From that point on, Joshua has lived a life of intention with a deep desire to help others. Joshua owns a triplex in Kansas City and is a limited partner in 240 units in Dalton, Georgia, and 440 units in Phoenix, Arizona. Joshua, welcome to the show. Hey, Peter. Thanks for having me, man. That was a great intro. Did I write that? <laughs> no. <laughs> but you gave me the bullets, which was perfect. Which was the perfect. All right. So first, let's get into the show. And what I thought we would do is, since you're a dentist and like you know, people in the medical field are almost put on a pedestal as, I think as potential investors just because of the demands of their job that they have, you know, they can have a pretty strong income, but they don't have time to necessarily learn about, you know, investing in real estate. And so my guess is the primary default, like most of America, is to just put their money into the stocks, et cetera, and kind of go from there. So I thought what we would do is just let's talk about Dennis as an you know the investor segment. Unless you want to you know, change the criteria here a little bit, but let's assume that we're talking about dentists that are, you know, maybe have seven to 15 years of experience. So they're not just like, you know, brand new, they've got some traction. So generally, describe this person or these people. Yeah, you know, so a dentist who's with seven to 15 years of practice, you know, typically they're practice owners, they're self employed business owners. But a lot of the mindset, once they hit that amount of experience, people are usually like, hey, you know what? I can do things the best. I want to do all the work. And so they get locked into the self-employed mindset. I know that um, Richard Kiyosaki puts it best when you are an employee, self-employed, or you're a big business owner or an investor. Dentists and physicians, they usually get locked into the S or the self-employed phase where you know they're typically trading their time for money. I know a lot of people, including my own um, classmates, they wish that there was another way. And a lot of them don't know that there's another way. So you know, here I am. I'm on my pedestal, helping out my friends, family, and other dental and um, medical professionals. Okay. So kind of attitudinally, once you have your own... And it makes perfect sense. Once you have your own practice and you've got maybe some, you know, some people working for you and you're able to like kind of create some leverage there, that their view is they can kind of figure it out. They know what like how to do it, whatever it might be in life. Yes. So for example, like, I mean, I have pretty good um, personal experience because, you know, my dad's a dentist. He owns three practices. And then now, like, you know, he's about to retirement age. But for him, I mean, I know he loves doing the work, but, you know, I see that type of investments that he had for retirement, you know, they're just not there. So it's like he's kind of stuck now. It's like, you know, what can he rely on where it could take him away from his day job, from, from taking the time for money? 
And at this point, I mean, unless they have something I don't know about, it doesn't seem like he can step away quite readily yet. As opposed to, I mean, like, if he sells the practice, you know, they can make some good money. But then, you know, where's the passive income coming in after the sale? You know what I mean? Now it's really like, hey, like, what can we do to kind of speed this up for him? Right. And I would imagine that, let's say you've like, you know, you've got some money in stocks and you've got like a practice or more than one practice and you sell it all and then you get a chunk of money. Well, like, that's fantastic to get the chunk of money. Now you have a new problem. You have a money problem, which is probably intuitively people, these people might know, I don't want to put it all in the stock market, but I don't know how or where to like, where else to put it. All right. So just in the first bucket, we're just going to kind of go through like kind of who they are. So in terms of a compensation range for that seven to 15 year, like what are we like kind of broadly talking about? So broadly speaking, like depending on if you're in California or if you're in the Midwest, the payment could be pretty different. A lot of my friends in California, they're making between like 150 and 180. I know out here in Vegas, like dentists are making a lot more between like 250 and 200. But then typically, like if you specialize, you can go a lot higher, maybe into the 500, even closer to the million range. Right. And I guess that's also dependent on how big your practice is and if you have multiple practices. Okay. So they're, you know, confirmed that they're well compensated, subject to geographic, you know, differences and kind of where they are in their stage. The next question I was curious about is kind of the truths or the beliefs that they have. And you mentioned that one of them is, I can do it the best. I may not be getting it right. So that's one. Are there other, you know, truths or beliefs that come from just being in the industry and the kind of the makeup of a dentist? Yeah, you know, uh, for dentists specifically, a lot of dentists are they're super hardcore about what they do. Like they take so much pride in, oh, you know what? I work so many hours in a week. I never take days off. I'm in the office 12 hours a day. And like I hear this all and I'm like, dang, dude, like. You have a life outside of the industry. Like, <laughs> do you have any hobbies? Do you have any friends or family or loved ones that you want to hang out with? Like, it's like a workaholic culture, is what I'm finding. And I'm like, holy moly! Like, <laughs> I don't know if I keep up with you guys, but I'm doing it as right now as we speak. But I'm looking for uh, a way to diversify and then to help others kind of get to where they want to be too. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I was a uh, like kind of out of business school. I was a management consultant at Deloitte. And it was a very similar culture. It's just like pedal to the metal, working really hard, traveling to different, you know, clients. And not a lot of people were asking, you know, is this good for me or <laughs> good for my family? It was just like, once you get into the culture, you're on the team and the team has a culture and that's what it is. But I think that that what you mentioned can be very insightful, you know, for you, like, you know, talking to other dentists and understanding that. And so it sounds like. You know, their schedule is pretty darn demanding and that is what they strive for because, you know, the more hours in, as you mentioned, time for money, the more hours in, the more compensation, as well as I'm sure like, you know, obviously like personal satisfaction about what they're building. Are there other kind of truths or labels that, you know, pop to mind? The other one that, that really pops up is it has to be more specialized to make more money. So for example, as a general dentist, I would say we're pretty well compensated. Let's say, you know, you're a root canal specialist or you're an oral surgeon. Those type of dentists are making, you know, close to six, seven hundred or maybe even a million earned income. So it's a pretty wild field because, you know, as you do get more advanced, your competition does rise with it. But again, again, you're sacrificing more years and more costs for education. So it's a trade-off. Right. And then they want to get a return on that. And then hence the you know demanding lines. So what about their like, you know, in your experience, their awareness for alternative investments? Obviously, you know, we talk about apartments, so we can talk about apartments now, but 
What's their like? You know, your sense of, of their overall awareness of potential investments that are out there beyond you know liquid markets, stocks, bonds, etc. So I know, for example, my dad's friends, my um, dental classmates, a lot of them, you know, they're uh, super big into crypto. One of my good friends, he's my roommate in dental school, actually. He's investing super hard in crypto right now because he believes that in the future, like right now, it's super low. And then in the future, it's just going to skyrocket. And he's been investing a lot of that. I know for most other diligent dentists, it's way too volatile for them to invest a lot. So, you know, people know real estate is a good investment. But they don't know the first thing about, you know, like, oh, do I invest in a house? Do I invest in the store, self-storage? Do I invest in an apartment complex? Or how do I do that? Right. Or the how. So it's probably like the major food groups. And like, as is like so often the case with so many of us, you know, they're like, oh, maybe a single family home, which is probably the last thing that a dentist who's got a demanding schedule should get into unless they've got some solution for property management because they need to be focusing on their patients. It's funny that you mentioned that, yes, because, you know, like once they got into that triplex, that was when I started to like realize, shoot, this is another job. Like, what am I doing? <laughs> right, right. And I want to get into the triplex because you're in a, a fantastic market. And I want to ask some questions about that in a moment. What about like any built-in biases in terms of how they make decisions? The decision making. So as an example, engineers, you know, this is a generalization, but engineers are analytical. So if you're going to talk to them about investing, you want to kind of be analytical, save the warm and fuzzy stuff for, you know, later. Okay. Well, definitely. I know dentists particularly, like, you know, they are tinkerers. Like, you know, they're the type to take things apart, figure it out how it works piece by piece, and then maybe put it back together later. But then, you know, basically the big thing with them is that, you know, they are the, again, the self-employed people. They're the people who think, Hey, I should be the one doing that because I could do it the best versus, you know, handing it off to somebody who might have some more experience or, you know, because you know, some people, they might think people aren't as trustworthy as they would be. Yeah. Yeah. Truthfully, that resonates a little bit with me. You know, one of my opportunity areas to work on is to like delegate and let go. Because, and I've been self-employed for a very long time. And maybe I never thought that there's a connection between being self-employed and it reinforcing that, you know, I can do it. I can figure it out. But then it becomes a handicap when you're trying to scale up and you need to let go and delegate. So, so that's, that's interesting. All right. So let's like talk a little bit about their pain points. If you were to get a, you know, group of dentists together and everyone's relaxed and they're talking about like, their frustrations, whatever they might be, like what would cut flow to the top? It's funny that you mentioned this because when you get a group of dentists together, the conversation always starts about something else. And somehow it leads into, oh, you know, I saw at the office the other day. And then they talk about a patient who was particularly difficult because of either the, the type of procedure it was, whether it's like a root canal or, you know, pulling a tooth or the personality of the patient. They were super high maintenance. You know, they expected the world, you know, just for coming in, just for having a checkup. And they expect to be treated like royalty. And of course, those are the two big, I guess, gripes that the dentists have that are around my age too. Like, it's consistent. <laughs> yeah. And what's interesting about that, if we extrapolate to real estate, is if they have those demands at work, right? Like all the people demands and procedural like demands and this, that, and the other. It would seem to me that one, like, and this is kind of the fun thing about like, you know, doing kind of a, like an exercise or process that we're going through is you can then extrapolate to real estate is, is that that to me would signal that dentists might be really great passive investors because they already have to deal with all sorts of stuff at work. So if they become a general partner on a property and have to deal with more stuff or own a single family home, they have to deal with more stuff. 
you know, there might be a capacity. <laughs> and that's kind of which is like a little bit maybe in tension with the desire to do everything themselves. So that's kind of an opportunity. All right. So what about like, you know, related to their financial concerns? I mean, you mentioned some like at the start of the show where, you know, Dennis can have a you know thriving practice. But when it comes time for retirement, like they have a chunk of money and they don't know what to do with it. Like, is there anything around those kinds of concerns that a dentist might have, you know, 10 years before they retire? So, I mean, yeah, the way that I've experienced it with my parents and then their retirement planning, you know, they seem to be kind of just like buying up property, but then they're not really, they're not utilizing it to their full potential, basically. But I mean, granted that, you know, the real estate always has gone up. They're paying for all the holding costs for these properties and, you know, not really renting it out that much. For example, they would have some renters, but then like they would be managing it themselves. They wouldn't have a property manager, but they would both get super frustrated with like dealing with the tenant. For example, like they just ended up flipping a house that they had. They had a tenant there for a couple of years and then they ended up flipping it and selling it. So again, they're sitting on this cash. So now they're like forced to 1031. But then I think now that they're starting to see the light, they're starting to invest more into multifamily. So, you know, we're, we're on the path. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They've got you. Yeah. <laughs> what about changes in the industry? I mean, is there any, I mean, I'm sure there's all sorts of changes that would be like in the weeds for our listeners, but are there any kind of you know, big trends occurring that might be, you know, changing the way dentists practice or, you know, you tell me. Yeah. So the big thing that we're seeing right now with dental, I'm not sure if it's with the whole healthcare industry itself. But insurance companies, insurance companies are the big ones that are like kind of driving what patients like, I guess, what, what kind of treatment they go for. And I know like that's not really how it should be. Like, you know, of course, as like a medical professional, I love to treat my patients to like, you know, what they need the most. But then the medical insurances, dental insurances, they don't want to pay, basically. So it's like, you know, patients are upset because they're paying the premiums. And then uh, we're upset because, you know, we can't treat the patients the, the way that we want to. The patient only really want what the insurance covers. And, you know, that's kind of a bummer because you do the best that you can to help your patients always. But, you know, if the patient doesn't see it, like, you know, they don't see it or they can't afford it. Those are the heartbreaking ones. Right. Because it's not insured. So then it falls on them. They can't afford it. So it sounds like, you know, dentists want to practice to the service of their patients, you know, the best service of their patients. Insurance companies being insurance companies are looking for cost reduction, which then does, you know, translate to potential, you know, revenue reduction for the dentist. So, you know, their work is getting harder. <laughs> yes. We're getting uh, work harder for less compensation. You, you can put it that way. Yeah. So that's a nice tie into, you know, any kind of passive income element, because I would think that that might lead to dentists, like there being even more of a pent up demand for, you know, passive income to supplement their work activities and also provide them an exit for retirement or, or whatever. Yes, definitely. I know that I joined the academy because I definitely want to get into this. I work as a general partner and, you know, really help my friends and family and fellow dentists kind of like, you know, yeah, I see the power of passive income because I know for me personally, like, I don't have that much right now, but like seeing emails, seeing texts that, you know, this payment came in, it's life changing for me. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. And I think it's possible for people to be like, oh my gosh. The amount of passive income I need is so, you know, I need $150,000 or $200,000 in passive income. And like, I'm at zero. I may have a bunch of money in the stock market, but I'm at zero. And that might seem like a steep mountain to climb. And it is a steep mountain to climb. You know, it is, but the mountain gets climbed bit by bit. And I will say that, you know, cause I've got, you know, some passive income and it might be small. The distributions might be small, but it is a lot of fun. 
to see an email or text or like you're saying and check my account. And then like, my gosh, there's 200 bucks in it. It's fun. It's like Christmas. It was so cool. Like I was at a concert with my wife, right? They're about to come on and I see on my phone, I got an email saying, Hey, you got paid X amount of dollars. And then I was like, Oh, what the heck? This is cool. It's so cool. Like they're enjoying life with my wife on her birthday. I got paid. Like what's not to like about that, right? <laughs> exactly. I think that's a great point. And I think we should, you know, it's kind of a, you know, middle market, small market, like, you know, sponsors, investment market, you know, group of people. We should celebrate those wins, even if the distribution is small, but it's a distribution. And no matter how old you are or how young you are, getting those distributions is exciting. And we do all know that like they'll start to compound and get bigger and bigger and bigger. All right. Well, this has been a lot of fun chatting about the dentist segment and just, you know, quickly kind of connecting it to like, you know, how they may view investing in apartments, what challenges sponsors might have in terms of talking to them and what the opportunities are. So let's shift and we're going to talk about Kansas City. You've got a triplex there to three units. So first, let's go to Kansas City. Like, how did Kansas City come up? So, you know, I was on bigger pockets. I was looking around for different mentorships because, you know, I know that for me, education has you know, put me to where I am today. So I'm a big believer of investing into education and investing to yourself. Just so that way, you know, you can be handed, not handed shortcuts, but like, you know, you can be like show, guided to shortcuts where, you know, people have like fallen before, kind of avoid those pitfalls. I found a group who is like out of Hawaii. They actually uh, mentor students and actually doing the BRRRR process, buying, rehabbing, renting, refinancing, repeating. And pretty much, you know, they work with their students. They pretty much um, acquire properties in Kansas City. They BRRRR the whole process. And then they kind of just like um, built an empire with that. All right. So you're on bigger pockets, you know, going through that. You, and then within bigger pockets, there was like a little subgroup of people. Is that my understanding of that? Who were kind of focused on Kansas City and that that's what led you to Kansas City. Yes. I knew it specifically like Kansas City was, I mean, I'm not really like too tied to it, but of course, you know, learning the process and being able to replicate it. That's what I was really interested in. Right. Right. So I think that I wanted to like pause because that is, I think, brilliant. I've done that in my career where, you know, you buy something, you're not sure, like, am I going to lose everything? I just invested, blah, 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 all the kind of mental chatter. And then you get into the problem solving that comes with owning anything. Then you're like, wait a minute, I'm going to be able to learn the process systems, et cetera, that I can replicate elsewhere. And I can you know do that from three to 10 to 20 to 100, whatever units. All right. So that's great. How long have you owned it? So that one, I think it's been a little bit over a year now, actually. All right. Great. So you were able to benefit from the lower interest rates. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe how crazy like that it jumped in just like that short of time. My goodness. Yes. But I locked in lower. Yeah. And is your thought like, what's the business plan? Do you have a hold period that's in your mind or what's the kind of, what are you thinking? I'm thinking for right now, because I just switched over with that new property manager. Oh, cash flowing. It's like giving me too much headaches right now. So I'm just going to hold it for the time being, appreciate it a bit more, maybe in a year or two exit, and then put that money into a syndication for sure. No doubt. <laughs> Right, right. All right. So you said the thing I was most curious about. So you own three units and I'm sure you've heard and the listeners have heard that, oh, you know, there's a lot of hassle or potential hassle and headache when you have an apartment building that has, you know, I've heard anything from like 65 units and under, but certainly in that kind of 10 to 20, but yet, you know, challenges with the property management. But I also know a lot of people who've had like a lot of success with that like size of property. Tell us about your property management experiences and, and what's worked and what's been a challenge? So with the property management, I mean, what's been kind of tough is getting like all the um, kind of like the receipts of everything being done. 
because I know this property manager, he's, he's not the most kept together, the most organized. There we go. Organized. Number. And so I just have to chase him down. I have to like, you know, specifically ask for these receipts just to make sure that everything is like going fine. Make sure that money is not being put anywhere where it's not supposed to be or just. Right. So I just want to like, so the reconciliation of like money going out and like the backup material, you know, the receipts that shows that. Right. Just the organization pretty much. But other than that, I mean, he's pretty good to me and nothing works like so big red flags or anything like that. Right. When you were evaluating property managers, were you concerned that, oh my gosh, I've got a three unit building and how am I going to make this property management work? Or were you just like, I'm going to make it work and that's that? Before I purchased the property, I mean, definitely I underwrote it. I had a, um, a coach who actually helped me underwrite the property itself and then literally, yeah, it cash flowed pretty nicely. And then like this property management, he also um, worked with that group before or not before it works with that group basically. And then, yeah, like, so he's kind of pre-vetted, but I still have to vet him out myself too. I still have to get on him for, you know, if I need some receipts or something. Right. Right. So it sounds like it's going pretty well. You know, I'm not going to wait every day. It's going pretty nicely. <laughs> I haven't run into anything major yet. I will say though, before I had this property manager, the day that I closed on the property, I was walking in the car getting ready to go to work. I got a call from my tenant. They were saying, Hey man, the water's turned off. What happened? And then, yeah, like, I guess when the closing process, I didn't switch over the water. Oh my goodness. I was so like, I was like flushed red. I was so stressed. I was like, oh my, I was like walking in the car. I, I went to work. I, I had to call like the water company and like, <laughs> and because it was a holiday weekend, they're like, oh yeah, we're not going to be out there for like, you know, three or four days. Oh my goodness. It was tough. Because <laughs> this is the stuff that happens, whether it's three units or 50 units. So what did you do? Were you just like tenant hang tight or... Oh, you know, I, I mean, I tell a tenant, hey, man, like, thanks for letting me know. Like, I'm going to get on this real quick. Luckily, like, all the calls that I made, I called the right people. They were able to get on that day. So I was like, I was, yeah, so like, crisis averted. I didn't have to, like, put anyone up in a hotel or anything like that. Yes. That's what I was wondering. <laughs> Definitely, I would say it was a big growing moment in my uh, real estate. <laughs> yes. I think, I mean, I don't know what my, like, version of that story is, but there are plenty of them. <laughs> you know, this just is. You know, maybe it's the locks don't work. They can't move in, you know, whatever the example is. Okay. So just quickly, you know, like bullet format, like what are the top, like, you know, two or three learnings that you've had from owning three units in Kansas City, you're in Las Vegas, good, bad, and different, whatever, just kind of the top three that can pop to mind. Definitely. You know, and the relationships that you build with people, like, I mean, whether it's property manager, contractors, anybody, even private lenders, private investors, putting your best foot forward and like being professional, even if they're not being professional to you, for you being the bigger person and being professional, like that says a lot about you and a lot about your company and who you are. So I, I would say definitely um, that was a big one for me because I, I know I've dealt with a lot of people who are not professional. <laughs> it's tough to be professional in the, in the face of something that's not, you know? Right. Excellent learning. All right. So we're going to move to our final two questions. Your transparency regarding your accident in dental school, like from my perspective, is grave. Many people might not share that story if it has happened to them. So what gives you the confidence and peace to share that story with grace for yourself, right? Yeah, you know, it's really great that you brought that up because that experience, like it just, it caused me to really grow. Like, at first, I was really, really resentful. I was like, you know, why me? Like, why am I a victim of my circumstances? And then later, you know, I, as I'm growing as an entrepreneur myself, you know, I realized that, hey, you know what? Things don't happen to us, they happen for us. And because, you know, I realized in that accident, like, hey, anything can happen to anybody. Everyone needs a source of passive income, not because, you know, it's cool. You can go on vacations whenever you want. 
But it's like, say, for example, if I was married at that point, I had a kid, like, how would my wife and my kid be supported? How would I be able to provide for others, basically? How would I provide for my loved ones and then you know, make sure that they have a good life? So, you know, and now I look at it as like, hey, this is my chance to like, this is my second chance to actually like help my friends, family, help all the other professionals out there who need help, you know, living life, giving a source of a passive income to actually secure your family and secure loved ones. So that's why I feel so good to share it. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I uh, wrote down as you were speaking that it didn't happen to you. It happened for you. And from that, you know, so many wonderful things have happened as well as like a maturity, et cetera, et cetera. So as much as I would not want to fall off a three-story building. <laughs> no, I wouldn't recommend that. Right. It's a valuable lesson. So thank you for that. Okay. In a couple sentences, last question here. In a couple sentences, describe Joshua Espejo in 10 years. I'll just go in 10 years, you know, I would love to help, you know, at least a thousand other dentists reach their passive income goals. And by then, I really hope to get at my foundation. The reason why I want to get out of dentistry as my daytime job is because I want to do it as like, you know, some sort of philanthropy kind of thing. Like I want to go either abroad or go into underserved communities, actually help them out. Because I know dental work and like, you know, I know it's kind of silly to say, but tooth pain or like when you're missing a front tooth, like people are mortified by that. You know, the one thing that gives me a lot of joy as a dentist, I'm literally putting smiles back on people's faces. I give them like literally one front tooth right here and there I see their eyes beaming and like you know, or when they have no teeth and I put dentures in, I have patients cry and they're like, oh my God, thanks so much, doctor. And I'm like, oh, it's so rewarding. So, you know, I want to take this, you know, as opposed to making my survival on dentistry, I want to make it my philanthropy for the world. Right. That's wonderful. Thank you for that. Joshua, thank you for coming on the show. If listeners want to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to do that? So definitely LinkedIn. My brand is The White Coat Syndicator. And I have a website, thewhitecoatsyndicator.com. And I'm actually, um, I don't know if you can see behind me, but this is my set for my podcast that I'm also doing. <laughs> so that's going to be up shortly. So yeah, excited to talk to everyone. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. And for those listeners who want to connect with me or have interest in being on the show, please feel free to shoot me an email, peter at northlightgrowth.com, or you can connect with me on LinkedIn at Peter Pomeroy. I want to thank you, Joshua, for being on the show and thank our listeners and wishing everybody a wonderful week. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and written review to help us grow and reach more listeners. Subscribe too, so you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, to stay updated, head on over to verticalstreetventures.com. If you're interested in learning more about what we do, you can schedule a call with our team on the website. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode.